1: have to live in your stench any longer. I'm here to deliver you from that stench. That's the roots of this word gospel. The one who was a soap salesman who would come in to deliver the soap to cleanse the people, to purify the people, to make them clean and and to make them smell better. You don't have to live in that stench. Here, look at Paul says, now I would remind you brothers of the good news that I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand, by which you were all being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless... You believed in vain. That word vain means empty. That word vain means useless. And in a room this size, people watching from home, there are some of you this morning whose faith is useless. It's empty. It's not real. You believe in God when you need something from God. You treat God like a genie in a bottle. You treat God as someone that is there to meet your needs, not someone that you're there to bring your worship to. Your faith is in vain and useless. Pastor Walter mentioned this text, and let me just read it to you, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then even Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. If there is no resurrection, then we're all worshiping for no good reason at all. We're still dead in our trespasses and our sins. The guilt of our own sin is still upon us. We are still worthy of death. But if Christ is risen as proof of the accepted sacrifice upon the cross, that the penalty, the debt has been paid. If Christ has been risen as a proof of the reception of that payment, then we worship for real. When we worship is legit, then our worship means something, it matters if there's an empty tomb, you see. Now look at what Paul does here. He says, verse three, "'For I delivered to you as of first importance "'that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. The Bible has told you that the Christ would come and would die. And if you're a student of the word, you can go through and you can read your word and you'll see very clearly how there are verses throughout the Old Testament that clearly state that the Christ would come, that Jesus would come and would die upon a cross. I'm gonna read to you just a few. You can write this down. I don't want you to turn there just for sake of time. But in Psalm chapter 22, The psalmist writes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who else said this? Jesus said this upon the cross, right? The prophet here in this case, David is writing this and he's saying, listen, listen, this is going to happen again later. And when this happens, you need to take note. God's word is telling us 1100 years before the cross exactly what is going to happen. It goes on and if if you read later, It says in verse 6, But I'm a worm, I'm not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Exactly what the mockers said at the foot of the cross as they watched Jesus die. It goes on. It gets better than that even Listen to what it says in verse 16. For dogs, they surround me and a company of evildoers. They encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all of my bones. They stare and they gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing, they cast lots. Exactly, exactly what happened to Jesus is foretold 1,100 years before it happens in the book of Psalms by the prophet David. Amazing, is it not? Now, think about this just for a moment. If you go to Isaiah later, you can read this. Again, don't turn there for the sake of time. I'm going to read it to you. In Isaiah, 700 years before the cross, Isaiah would write this. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out my beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Who else did that happen to Listen to this, Isaiah chapter 52. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up on the cross. He shall be exalted as many were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. He goes on in chapter 53. He says, he was despised. He was rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Is one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him as stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and by his wounds we've been healed. 700 years before it happens, the Bible says it's going to take place. The prophet Isaiah says, this is what you should be looking for. Paul says here, just like the scriptures foretold the Christ will suffer. It happened. Now look, at he goes on, look at what he says here in verse four. Just as he suffered, just as he died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, verse four, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Now this is interesting, because if you go back as a student of the word, you can find these moments, these verses throughout the Old Testament that clearly state that the cross is coming, it's much more difficult to find in the Old Testament a clear-cut picture of what the resurrection would look like. There's a verse in Psalm 16, verse 10, it says this, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or the place of the dead, or let your Holy One see corruption. Again, many Bible students believe that this is an allusion to the resurrection, that God's not going to let the Messiah stay in the tomb, stay in the grave. He's going to raise him from the dead. But here's what I was convicted by when I read this last time before I studied even. I said, Lord, your word says that the Old Testament tells us that after three days, Jesus would rise from the dead. So, Lord, show me where it says that. So I started studying. And as I started to study, this is what the Lord had showed me. And and really what I see in this is God had been trying to tell his people all throughout the scriptures, all throughout the Hebrew scriptures, you need to be ready, you need to be prepared. The third day is coming and something special, something important, something life-changing, something that will alter the future is going to happen on the third day, but you need to be prepared. And you know what the word is that the Lord has for us today? Something important happened on the third day. Life changing, time changing, future altering, and you need to be ready for the third day as well. So, we're gonna transition from the road to doubt and we're gonna look now at the third day of hope. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. We're gonna look at the third day of hope, and I had to narrow this down for the sake of time. This is a glimpse inside maybe my psyche. I want you guys to know me a little bit today as well. I had a nightmare last night. You know what my nightmare was about? My nightmare was that I went too long in the sermon and people got up and started leaving. (laughs) It's the truth, I tell you the truth. So we're gonna get through these 10 as fast as I possibly can, because I want you to stay here for the end. But I also want you to see what God has left for you to grasp and to hold on to, because this is hope. He doesn't want you to be on that road to doubt and despair. He wants you to be on the road to hope and confidence in Jesus, our risen Savior. So if you're taking notes, the first thing I want you to write down is that the third day, you need to be watching, you need to be waiting for the third day because the third day brings with it provision. And if you read this later on, Genesis chapter 22, it's the story of Abraham and Isaac. And the Lord comes to Abraham and he says, I want for you to sacrifice for me your one and only son. And Abraham is a form of worship, is a testimony to his faith. He says, I don't understand what God is doing here. This is the promised son. He said that through this son, I'm gonna bless the nations of the world. So I'm just gonna trust. And he sets out on his journey. And the Bible says that after three days, on the third day of this journey, Abraham lifts his eyes and he sees Mount Moriah. He sees the place to which the sacrifice needs to be made. Now, years later, Solomon will have the temple built on this very place, the very place that Abraham and Isaac climbed up to on the third day to give of this offering. Now, if you are a Bible student, you know how this story goes, that Abraham and Isaac are on their way up. He tells the servants, just wait. They go up the hill to Mount Moriah. They carry the wood. They carry the fire. They carry the knife. And Isaac looks at his father and says, you've got everything for the sacrifice except the sacrifice. And what does... Abraham, say to his son, he says, God will provide himself the sacrifice. And they go up to the top of the mountain. And Isaac freely lays himself upon the altar. And Abraham pulls out the knife and is ready to plunge it into his only begotten son, his only son, the son of promise. And God says, stop! Stop! And Abraham looks, and off into the distance in the thickets in the bushes is a ram that is caught. God provided the sacrifice in that place, and he called that place Jehovah-Jireh, the place of provision. God will provide. Why? Because it was in that place that God met our greatest need in providing for us a sacrifice, a lamb that should be slain. Now, again, isn't it fitting that years later, the temple would be erected here and that they would go in and that they would offer the sacrifices there upon the mercy seat of God, sprinkling it. And off in the distance, in the shadow of that temple, is another hill called Golgotha, the place of the skulls, where the cross of Calvary would be. In the shadows of the temple, Jesus was sacrificed himself. And the scripture tells us that these sacrifices that would happen in the temple, they weren't the sacrifice, they were just hints, they were a shadow of the sacrifice that should come. Why? Because it isn't fitting that the blood of bulls and goats could make us clean, but the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, His blood is a perfect sacrifice and no other sacrifice shall be needed. God provided, praise God, God provided in the shadow of the temple, in the shadow of Moriah, God provided the cross of Calvary. I was contemplating this verse this week. Many of you know this verse, John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so often when we preach that message. We get really focused in on that idea of God gave his son, the sacrifice, and it's important, but you know what really pierced my heart and what crushed me this week when I was thinking about this verse, John three sixteen, is that God so loved. Why? Because you realize, don't you, that you can love someone and that love will never be returned. You remember being in junior high? Maybe you have a junior high or a grade school crush and you can't wait to get to school to see that person and you hope that that person notices you but that person might as well not even know you exist today in today's day and age you're waiting for a text you're waiting for a phone call and it never comes why because you have affection you love this person and they don't even know you're there they don't ever return that love well this is what God experiences all of the time from a world that rejects him He loves them, and it's never returned. But what's amazing to me is that even though that frustration is there, even though that heartbreak is there, God so loved the world, and he gave his son anyway, even though he knew it wouldn't be returned. What more proof do you need of how he feels about you, my friends? The scripture says this in Romans chapter 8. It says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up, sacrificed him for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God didn't withhold his son from you, why would he withhold any other blessing from you? He already gave what mattered the most to him. God, in that moment, on the third day, be watching and waiting the third day because the third day brings provision. It brings exactly what you need. You needed a sacrifice and God gave his son as that sacrifice. Secondly, if you're taking notes there, I want you to know that the third day, we need to watch and we need to wait because the third day brings protection. In Genesis chapter 42, you can read about Joseph. Joseph, who is a type of Jesus, This Joseph who was rejected by his brothers, who was sold into slavery, left for dead by his brothers. How this man rose to prominence in the house of Pharaoh, was put over all of Pharaoh's worldly possessions, was governor over all of Egypt. He was second in command only to Pharaoh himself. And it just so happens that in Genesis chapter 42, a famine sweeps over all of the world and only Egypt has enough grain because God gave Joseph enough wisdom to store it up. So Joseph's brothers, they make their way to Egypt to beg for food, and they find themselves in the presence of their brother. They don't recognize their brother. They don't recognize that this is Joseph, the one that they sold into slavery, the one that they left for dead. And so they come before him, and they beg, please, uh, there's 11 of us in our father, in our father's house. We're starving. Please give us something to eat. And Joseph recognizes those brothers, and he takes those brothers, and he throws them into confinement. He throws him into prison for guess how many days? For three days. And on the third day, Joseph comes to those brothers, and he says, listen, if you will just listen to me, you'll have plenty of food, and you will live. I will protect you from this wrath on the third day. Now, what's amazing to me is that I want you to understand that the ark in the scripture is also a picture. It's also a type of Christ. The ark is the place that Noah took he and his family into, and it spared them from the wrath that God was going to pour out in the form of water upon the earth. And those who were safe within the ark were safe from the wrath of God, right? Jesus is a type of this. Now, this is what blows my mind. This is amazing to me. But do you realize that when the ark came to rest after the storms, after the floods, it came to rest on the same day as the resurrection, on the 17th of Nisan. And it came to rest on a mountain called Ararat, which means reverse the curse. The ark, our safety, our protection, right? Our protection rested on the mountain called reverse the curse on the same day that Jesus rose from the grave. And what is God doing for his people? He's saying, you need to be ready for the resurrection. You need to be ready for the third day because the third day is going to bring with it protection for my people who find themselves in Christ. There's no protection out there in the world, my friends. You're at the mercy of the world and you're at the mercy of sin. You're at the mercy of the wicked one. But when you come into the ark, when you come into Christ, you are protected. Jesus rose the third day so that you could find that protection. God says, you need to be watching. You need to be ready because the third day will also bring with it deliverance. This is the story of Moses delivering the children of Israel. He goes before Pharaoh and he says to Pharaoh, let my people go. We need to go how many days? Three days into the wilderness to offer our sacrifices to our God. He says this over and over, does Moses, let us go, let us go three days into the wilderness so that we can offer sacrifices and worship to our God. Let us go three days into the wilderness so that we can offer sacrifices and worship to our God. Now what's amazing in this story is yes, that you can read this in Exodus, you have to read quite a few chapters in Exodus. When you read this in Exodus, the Exodus of our people, the deliverance of God's people, the setting free of God's people, the people are finally set free and they travel in the wilderness for three days and they come up against a sea called the Red Sea. And just then, approaching from the distance, approaching, right, approaching there, coming in, Pharaoh's bringing his army, bringing his chariots, over 600 chariots, and God miraculously parts the Red Sea so the children of Israel could cross on dry ground. And guess which day that happened? It happened on the third day. And God is saying, you need to be warned You need to be ready because God wants to deliver you on the third day, the day that he rose from the grave, the day that the waters parted and the people crossed on dry ground. God wants to deliver you on the third day. This is what it says in Isaiah chapter 41. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you or deliver you with my righteous right hand. Whatever your trials, whatever your circumstances in life, fear not, for I am with you and I will deliver you with my right hand. That Pastor Walter shared this on the Good Friday service. I encourage you, go back and watch it. But in Exodus chapter 6, right, the promise that is there in the cups of the Passover meal is that he will redeem us, deliver us with outstretched arms like arms that are pinned to a cross spread wide. God will come. He will deliver you with outstretched arms, with arms pinned to the cross. This is written throughout the scriptures. We needed to be ready. We needed to be prepared. I love this verse in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. He has delivered us. That's me, and that is you from the dominion of darkness, and he's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, no longer following after the ways of the flesh, no longer following after the ways of the world, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. He's delivered us from that darkness, and now I belong to the Lord. He, praise you can clap. It doesn't matter, you can clap. Listen to me. God says you need to be watching And you need to be ready. You need to be waiting because something special is going to happen on the third day. And it's not just provision. It's not just protection. Not just deliverance. It's also refreshing. Look at what happens here. Again, the story of the children of Israel through the Exodus. The waters part. They cross through on dry ground. They get to the other side. And they're wandering in the wilderness for three days. And they have no water. They're thirsting. Their mouths are parched. And they come across a pool of water called Mara and the water is bitter, and they cannot drink it, and they're so frustrated, and they feel, they complain, they grumble at Moses. Why would you bring us out here? Why would you do this to us? We're gonna die of thirst in this wretched wilderness because we have nothing to drink, and God shows, God shows to Moses a log, and he says, Moses, you take that log, and you throw that log into the water, and that water will be made sweet. And it will be able to be drinking by the people. And all of the people drink, and they're refreshed in that moment. And it happened on the what? On the third day. Jesus would come, and he would stand before the people listening as he taught. He would actually speak this at a great festival. When all of the nation was there, he would say, come to me and drink. Come to me and drink it out of your heart with rivers of living water. He says to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, speaking intimately with her, everyone who drinks of this water, the water of the world, the water that the world has to offer, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. You'll be refreshed in such a way that you'll never seek another refreshment again. The third day brings with it refreshing. Be watching be waiting and be anticipating the third day, because the third day also brings with it cleansing. The story of the Exodus, the children of Israel make their way to a mount called Mount Sinai, and at Mount Sinai, this is the place where God would meet with the people in thunderings and in lightnings, and where God's law, God's word would be delivered to Moses and given to the people, where the people would enter into a marriage covenant with the Lord and say to the Lord, we will follow you, Lord. But before that happens, Moses, and you can read this later, Exodus chapter 19. Moses is told by the Lord, I want you to go and I want you to tell the people to make themselves ready, to cleanse themselves, to fast and to prepare themselves because on the third day, I'm going to come and I'm going to meet with the people. And if they're not ready, it's only going to be bad things for them. So I'll tell them to wash themselves, to cleanse themselves, to prepare themselves and to be ready for the third day because I'm coming on the third day. So the people prepare themselves and they meet with the Lord at the base of Mount Sinai. and God delivers to them the word of God and they're amazed when those trumpets blast and they see the cloud of the glory of God descend and they hear his voice thundering and they're so frightened and afraid and they're in awe of who God is. And it happened on the third day. Well, that same type of cleansing Jesus offers to us at his resurrection, at his raising from the dead, David after his sin with Bathsheba, after he had committed adultery with a a married woman, and then in order to cover up his sinfulness, he kills her husband. After that sin, this is what David would write in Psalm 51, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He goes on in verse seven, he says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Only God can cleanse you and wash you and prepare you for his coming. There is no good deed. There's no good work that you can do. You can't stand in front of a mirror long enough. You can't put enough makeup on, enough concealer on to cover up what is in your heart. Only God can cleanse you and prepare you that way. Listen to what it says in the book of Titus. It says, he saved us not because of the works, done by us in our righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and the regeneration. That word regeneration means rebirth, by the rebirth and the renewal of his Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly, lavished on us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That we've been washed and reborn and rebirthed through the pouring out of his Holy Spirit upon us. Only God can cleanse you the way you need to be cleansed. If you feel dirty, if you feel unattractive, if you feel worthless, you don't have to leave here that way. Because the third day, the third day he brings with him his cleansing.
0: Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the ccciv.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.ccciv.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.